How's it, guys? Welcome back for another episode this week. However, it's a little bit of a different episode as I'm joined by Belinda. He's one of the team members here at Rugby Punted. In fact, the voice of reason at Rugby Punted most of the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the views and his opinions expressed in this episode may be a little less biased, although I'm pretty sure that's not true. You're just as much of a diehard Bok fan, hey, Belinda? Right. Yeah, we're not talking about Springboks as much today, or well, they would be biased, but the Sharks are coming up, so that'll definitely... um. I'm definitely biased towards them. I can't pretend otherwise. And I mean, we, we're recording now just after the Sharks have suffered a bit of a defeat, so a bit of a blue Sunday for the both of us. We'll get into that game in a little bit. Did you have a good weekend? Oh, it was very good, thanks. And yours? Yeah, mine was chilled. I was through in Hearties for a little bit last night. I lacked to get out to the dam and a bit of a break from the city. I'm using a long weekend. I'm taking tomorrow off, so took the chance to escape a little bit. Very smart. Are you working tomorrow? Yeah, that was the wise move. I, you know, I'm working tomorrow, but I work from home. So, you know, I mean, it's not too bad. And I work for people in the state. Not too bad at all then. So should we dive into it then? Some Curry Cup action on this weekend. As we always say, it's a bit hard keeping track of which tournament yes. we're pitching which team in. But the Bulls, again, suffering a I'm defeat. I'm just going to say it's like it's a lot of rugby, but it's cool. It is. It's a ton of rugby. The Bulls going down at home, 33-41 against Province. Their second home defeat on the trot. Bit of an interesting strategy there from the Bulls. They're not doing too well at the moment. Yeah, I don't really know what's going on with them. It's weird because they're trying to field a strong side in every game and it's just not working out for them. You know, they're not kind of doing the same thing that some of the other local teams are doing where they have these like very clear distinctions between a URC squad versus a kind of, in very much inverted commas, B or C squad. But it's still... Something has gone amiss. They were doing really well, and now it's like it's falling apart a bit. We all know I'm not a Bulls fan, so I'm not (laughs) devastated. (laughs) Our listeners will know we'll never have a Bulls fan on this podcast. That's not allowed. (laughs) Already upset Ronnie by getting a Stormers fan on here, so we can't trick (laughs) you. But, I mean, these are two of the URC finalist teams now from last year, and obviously this is not the URC, but it's, it's such contrasting results, and... Not just the results, but the performances they're putting on the pitch. So, I mean, the Stormers in this game, it's two from two for them in the Curry Cup. Ten points on the board, full house. And we mentioned it last week, you know, the Stormers are the only actually the side that Dobson is coaching URC, the Curry Cup and Heineken Cup Challenge. The other unions have split up the coaching staff and it seems to be paying dividends for them. The team Mm -hmm. is playing really, really well, fielding some of the URC stars, but generally a young side. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the the kind of consistency piece is really important. So, you know, I've spoken before about the consistency in terms of players, but I think you raise a really important point there. Like the consistency of the coaching is equally as important and it's definitely working out for, for province or the Stormers, depending on which competition we're talking about. Also true, yeah, they change their name per competition. But Cade Volherter, he's having now second man of the match on the row. We, you know, Shane spoke that he's a young up and coming fly half. I was a bit critical, but two good performances on the trot. He scored a try this weekend, five penalties and three conversions. So very good from the young 10. And then another player I think that we need to chat a little bit about is Clayton Blomikis. He seems to have come into his own here, playing extremely well. Some even saying he's playing better than Warwick Holland when Holland was still at the Stormers. So clearly players are doing well under Dobson's guidance. Yeah, I mean, look, that's quite a bold statement. I don't know if I'd go there just yet, but he is definitely he is definitely coming into his own. It seems as if Dobson, out of all of the coaches, has that kind of 
mentoring effect where he can take talent that hasn't necessarily thrived elsewhere and and kind of turn it into something really special. And Blomakis is an example of that. He's really been doing well for them. Very impressive stuff. Yeah, I think it's some of the best rugby that Clayton has been playing, you know, and there's talk of Warwick Holland coming back, but I'm not sure they need him. I mean, like you say, it's a bit of an overstatement to put them in the same category. But you've got, here you've got a fullback that's playing very, very well. And let's not forget, they still have Damien Willemser in the setup as well. Yeah, and I think I think you, you don't want to mess around too much and having players coming in and out and kind of undermines the confidence of the guys that you've just built up. So you bring Clayton in and then you say, okay, hold on, wait, let's get Warwick back again. Like, if it was me, I would leave it as it is. It seems to be working really well for them. I wouldn't mess with that formula too much. You know, it's quite frustrating, actually, how well it's working for the Stormers at the moment. I mean, Ivan Roos, Marnie Lovell. Right? All of these Super guys annoying. are playing so, so well. So it's quite frustrating. But, I mean, they play rugby. That's incredible to watch. That Jean-Luc Duplessis offload last night was sublime. That was top-class handling. So I'm enjoying watching them play, even though I'm definitely not a Stormers fan. And... Yeah, well done to the boys from the Cape. That's a very, very good result. It is really frustrating as a non-Stormers fan to have to watch them playing really well. You have to gradually give it to them and say that they've been fantastic at the moment. Yeah, something that leaves a bit of a bitter taste in the mouth when you have to have to admit it now. But then we take a walk over to Mbombela, the Pumas' first home game of the Curry Cup season. They ran out 34-27 victors over the Lions. It was a bit of a comeback from the Lions in the second half. But a late Diego Apollos try scored the win for them. And he actually got man of the match, scoring two tries and one try assist. Yeah, I mean, I thought after the way the Pumas played last weekend and the kind of hiding that they handed to the Bulls, the Lions did well against them. There's a reason the Pumas are the current champions, you know. And I think there's this old kind of mentality about teams like the Pumas and the Griquas who, you know, have just inflicted pain on us. But, uh, you know, there's this mentality about them being kind of like minor teams. and I think we're going to have to start moving away from that way of thinking because they just aren't that anymore, you know, maybe in terms of resources, sure. But in terms of, of playing style and quality of, of the games that they're delivering, it's it's just not that. So I thought the Lions did well against them. I mean, it was it was a pretty close scoreline and, and they were in it. So I thought it was a good game. Yeah, Jimmy Steinhaus will be very happy that his guys have come out firing this season, trying to back up their championship from last year. But it's a little bit frustrating for the Lions because it's across all competitions. You know, they managed to string together a strong 40 minutes, either the first half or the second yeah. half, but they're never getting a full 80-minute performance, 80 performance out of their squad. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is probably something that will come up again as we discuss the internationals, but there's a lot of stuff that seems to be going on behind the scenes with the Lions that I think we're probably not even privy to all of it. You know, there's been so much stuff in the media about URC experiences while the team has been touring and, and negatives like that. So, and that does have an impact on the players. I also think, you know, the teams like Pumas and the Griquas and the Cheetahs have a kind of added advantage in that they're only playing in this competition. Well, the Cheetahs are playing in the, the, what is it, the Challenge Cup or whatever it's called. But, you know, the, the, the kind of big four, for want of a better description, are playing across so many different competitions at the moment. It's actually like they're stretched really thin. and turning into a true test of depth that's for sure so I mean I think the Lions have work to do but I also feel like their fans could maybe give them a little bit of a break you know that it's not it's not the end of the world just yet no for sure and like you say the teams really are stretched because you're looking at the curry cup 
and you're seeing guys that are playing URC featuring there, which is something we never used yeah. to see with Super Rugby. You know, the guys would often be rested, but I mean, you've got a lot. Spoon Corsi in the Springbok camp, but he's playing for the Bulls in the Curry Cup and the URC. Yeah. And, you know, it's showing that the, the player budgets have curtailed them to a point where these guys have to play all competitions. They can't be, yeah. be rested entirely for this, and you can't rely on yeah. these structures entirely. But it's also this this move north, which I shall not comment on, but it's like Super Rugby and the Curry Cup never ran concurrently, really, you know, so, or at all, in fact. So now we have like three different co- competitions running at the same time, whereas we never had that in the past. You know, we had our kind of provincial teams playing Super Rugby and then we would have our June Internationals and the Rugby Champs and then we would lose the kind of Springbok players from the from the Curry Cup while they were playing rugby championship or whatever, and then they'd come back towards the end. But never this like three competitions all at once, plus Springbok alignment camps and all of that stuff. So it is just a little bit chaotic. Yeah, it definitely is a bit chaotic at the moment. And I mean, you would expect then to see the likes of the Pumas, the Griffins and the Grick was doing very mm. well. But on the note of the Griffins, they went down 12 oh, to the Cheetahs. Peter's putting on a big performance. And how can you not smile when Franz Stein wins man of the match? Gotta love it. No, because he's just so lovely. Like, we just love him. And he's on this whole campaign at the moment to end his career with another World Cup victory. And, like, honestly, you'd have to be the most miserable human being on earth not to want to see that. Like, Without how could you not want to see France Stein win another World Cup? You've got to love it. Hey, he's a legend of South African rugby and a man of the people. He'll outdrink a beer on okay. the sidelines in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the Cheetahs yeah. using this well at the moment to sort of establish a bit of form again ahead of their, their last 16 fixtures in the Challenge Cup. Interestingly enough, I see that Jamba Ulengo turned out for the Griffins. He's a bit of a forgotten Springbok. I think he debuted in 2015. First time I've yeah, heard wow. of him in years. Yeah, ages, absolute ages. Oh, and you kind of have to feel for the Griffins because this is obviously their first time playing in the Premier Division of Curry Cup. You know, they they've been kind of bumped up into the into the big league so to speak and I feel like almost the Sharks flattered them in the first few minutes of the game last weekend because the Sharks did not come out firing and and so they they were leading and and that might kind of probably gave them a confidence boost which has now been absolutely shattered by the cheaters but the cheaters are just you know when it comes to the curry cup I kind of expected them to win last year to be honest but they are in a league of their own compared to some of those other like non-super rugby teams. For sure. Two Springboks, Ron Pinar, Front State, and they're backing that Cheetah's backline up quite nicely. But <laughs> Two legendary Springboks. Exactly. Absolute legends. Ronnie actually last week tried to suggest on the pod that Ron Pinar might be in line for a Bok call-up, which I shot down very quickly. I think that's a bit okay, a bridge too far back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a bridge too far, that one. But I mean, Cheetah's here, eight tries to nil. So that shows some good attacking enterprise from the Cheetahs. And then I think another point where the Griffins are struggling quite a bit is their fitness. They were trying to slow the game down a lot, you know, typical what we see of the box, but less tactically so and more because the players were just, they were were struggling. (laughs) Yeah, and again, I'm going to say, like, this is a whole new territory for them. To take nothing away from them, I'm not suggesting that they weren't playing great rugby last year or anything like that, but it's a step up. And it requires that like extra level of fitness. You're now playing in a different kind of league with with players of of a higher caliber. And so yeah, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to up their fitness in a big way if they want to compete. Yeah, that's without a doubt. 
Then we move on to the last Curry Cup fixture for the weekend, the one that's upset us. We have to. <laughs> yeah, let's just get through it quickly. 48-40 victory to the Griquas. You know, that was a bit of a shocker for me. Played at Tafalaga Park. Sharks were 28-10 up at halftime and didn't, didn't score until the last two minutes of the second half. And then scored twice. Yeah, Dylan Richardson both times. And unfortunately, Lionel Kriya missing the, the final conversion, which would have given us a losing bonus point. That's not what you want to see from the Sharks. I mean, there was Manus Potkita. There's quite a number of, of top flight players in there, and they did not mm. bring the goods. Yeah, it's weird. That game for me was a bit of an emotional roller coaster because we started really slowly. And I was like, uh-oh. Because it's weird. I always think of the Greek quiz as our like banana peel curry cup team. We've often had seasons where we start against them and lose the first game of the season. So for me, they're always like a bit of a, okay, what's going to happen? Yeah. And they were second place last year. So they, again, like you don't want to detract from them, but we should have done better. So we started really slowly. Then it seemed as if we were all guns blazing and we came out in the second half. I do not know <laughs> what <laughs> went wrong there. It was just like, yeah, they just were not firing at all. And then suddenly in the last like five minutes, two tries. Dylan is fantastic, though. Yeah, Dylan really is. That was very, very good from him to snap two up right at the death. But it seems like they went to sleep when they went into the sheds at halftime and came out thinking of the Sunday bri that was waiting for them rather than the next 40 minutes of rugby. Yeah, it was very weird. But on that, I want to say I was expecting the stadium to be a lot fuller. I don't know what's going on in Kimberley on a Sunday afternoon. It seems to me like there wouldn't be a wealth of choices in terms of what to do. I would have expected a few more people to be turning out to see the Griquas, but um, but the crowd was loud, so that's at least something. Yes, I don't know what's up with the Sharks. They really, it's just across all the all the competitions at the moment, there's just this inconsistency. And I don't think Sean Everett can take all the blame for that. You know, there's, there's clearly something else going on, and I'm really not sure what it is. The Sharks at the moment are the Scotland of domestic rugby. They give you hope with some big performances and then just pull the rug out as soon as you start being happy as a fan. You know, they put you on this lacquer roller coaster. Break your heart. Yeah. I still have confidence that we could win the Heineken Cup, but you know, you know me, I'll never say anything bad about the Sharks. <laughs> yeah. I live I live in eternal hope. Yeah, I also I'm hoping on our challenge in the Heineken Cup because I think we have thrown all our eggs in that basket. So it would be good to see that pay dividends. But mentioning Scotland, we then move over to the Six Nations. Scotland getting a 26-14 victory over Italy. I'm a bit disappointed Italy didn't manage to get a win in the Six Nations. I feel like they played better than the results show. But ultimately, you know, a whitewash for Italy, wooden spoon is theirs this year. Can I just say, I saw a photo on, I don't even know what social media platform, probably Twitter, of an Italian fan walking to the match and he had a wooden spoon in his back pocket. So <laughs> at least they have a sense of humor about it. <laughs> no, he was waiting to go home and make some pasta. That's, that's why it was. <laughs> yeah, they, I think they've struggled the last two games when Andrea Capuazzo got injured. He was vital yeah. to their counterattack. He was really, really good for them in the Six Nations. And, you know, it is a very young side. Their average age is about 22 years mm. old. So with a bit of experience, they will come together more. And hopefully we can see them mount some upsets at the World Cup. But ultimately, they'll be disappointed yeah. with, the, with the showing in the Six Nations. And something that pleases me is I see Townsend has now come out and said he would like to extend his tenure with Scotland. That would be great. I don't know why they hadn't considered that already, to be honest. Yeah, there's a lot of weirdness happening in the coaching and all those Northern Hemisphere teams. So, I mean, it's great that he's going to stay on. 
I also think like speaking of coaches, I mean, you saw the Italy coach come out last week and speak about the refs, which apparently some people are allowed to do and others are not. But I felt again that Italy kind of were definitely not getting the rub of the green in this game. Not to take anything away from Scotland, but I think Italy will be disappointed in some of those calls and will have felt that they could have potentially won the game or at least ended it with a better scoreline. Yeah, for sure. It is frustrating about the officiating at the moment that it's so inconsistent, but we will be getting on yeah. to the most controversial officiating <laughs> decision of the weekend in a little bit. Then we go over to Dublin. The Aviva was very festive after St. Paddy's or for St. Paddy's Day. And they managed to get a 29-16 win over the English. Almost did a Jacob Zuma. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Listen properly. <laughs> Yo, that game was interesting for me because there was there's a lot of hype around Ireland at the moment. Like, a lot of hype. And most of it is deserved. Absolutely. But England had their number a lot of the time in that game. And I think the cards, which we'll obviously obviously speak about, like had some impact on the trajectory of how the game changed. And whether England would have won if they hadn't got the cards is, you know, I mean, it's a moot point, but I I don't know whether they would have had the stamina to continue playing the way they were playing, but they certainly had Ireland completely rattled in the beginning of that game and at various other points. So this like image of, I mean, Ireland is, exceptionally well coached make no mistake but this image of like a flawless unbeatable island i'm not convinced no so that's my controversial rugby opinion for the weekend (laughs) so i'm going to take the different approach which i did actually chat to you a little bit about i want ireland going into the world cup as cocky as possible you guys are excellent you guys cannot be beaten we praise you guys unbelievable well done on your grand slam (laughs) but no yes some some important things to mention there, you know, Johnny Sexton, last home game in the Six Nations for him, legend of, of Irish rugby and rugby in general, so he deserves a bit of a shout out. Now also officially the top point scorer in the Six Nations. And a bit of a surprise for me in this game was Dan Cole getting his 100th. There's nothing in the media about it this week. Yeah, that was... Came off the bench. Definitely under the radar. Yeah. Very much so. I felt a bit sorry for him, like off the bench, no fanfare, just like, oh, a little thing on the screen. Dan Cole's 100th. Okay. Also, I mean, if we want to talk about how much I don't like the Bulls, we times that a million for how much I don't. And yet there were moments where I was like, oh, maybe they should win this game just to like, <laughs> just to lower some expectation. England is everyone's second team. We always want to see them come second to whoever they're playing against. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I would have been like, the draw last night, actually. But yeah, I, I shouldn't be. My whole family lives in Ireland, so sorry. But I mean, it's, you know, Ireland, very well done. Getting a Grand Slam is no easy task. They are playing exceedingly well at the moment. And, you know, as much as we say they were rattled, which they definitely were by the English, Mm. they were still ahead. And that's the mark of a team Mm. that's still comfortable with what they're doing. You know, they managed to secure the win. And you brought up that red card. So, guys, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well. But us chatting here right now, the Freddie Stewart red card for the clash with Hugo Keenan. Yes or no, red? By the letter of the law, red. But it's a tricky one because obviously it wasn't intentional. There was no malice. None of that is in the law book. So I think the key point is what Yaku said when he was speaking to Owen Farrell. And he said, in the current climate, and that's the important piece, I think, because 
they're cracking down so hard on head contact. And so I feel like on another day with a different ref, and this is nothing against Yaku because all of the refs said it was red. It wasn't just Yaku paper. It could have been a yellow. I definitely wouldn't have just given a penalty. I would have given yellow maybe. But a red is harsh. But by the letter of the law, I think it was a red, unfortunately. I mean, the argument is if he had time to turn his body like that and raise his elbow, he had the time to make another decision and try and tackle or just get out of the way. But in that split second, very difficult. You know, I think a similar sort of situation was the CJ Stunder on Pat Lambie. You know, in the air, it's, it's unfortunate. But like you say, by the letter of the law, it's a red card. And as he said, you know, in the current climate, that's what it is. But this is where you now see the struggle and the trade-off between having strict rules about something or having the ref's discretion that may or may not go another way. Mm-hmm. Because this was clearly application of the rule mm. to the T. If he had had his discretion, yeah. he would have said, you know, in the in light of the situation, the speed that everything happened at, yellow card. But he had to apply the law yeah. as it was. And that's, exactly. that's where we see the red. There was moment in that game though that had me in stitches and I don't know if you picked up on it but it was Johnny Sexton got a little bit of a bump and he fell onto the ground holding his head Owen Farrell goes to the ref he's like sir 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 he's holding his head he needs to go off for a concussion test exactly that was excellent from Owen Farrell yeah yeah 100% and I mean I think that's the thing if players are going to claim head head contact or head injury then they must go off for an HIA you know, you know, I feel very strongly about the whole protocol around protecting players from head injury and, and the repercussions if we don't. So, yeah, I mean, that was brilliant. It was very funny. Obviously, obviously, Yaku just like laughed it off and didn't send him off for an HIA. But I, I think, you know, we can't. I know the English are angry and a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people feel that shouldn't have been a red card. But if if they hadn't sent him off or if he just got in yellow, then the Irish fans would have been unhappy. So the refs can't win. That's the bottom line. Like, And so the fairest thing is for them to apply the law like strictly to the letter, I think. Yeah, like you said, all the officials agreed. So then, good win. And that's the way rugby goes sometimes. Sometimes you just don't get the call. I thought it was going to be a much bigger score after that red card, but not mm. to be. England still managed to rally, which we do actually see with teams sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it almost like that red card kind of inspires the fighting spirits. A little bit, yeah. Who knew England had that, hey? Right? So surprising. <laughs> and <laughs> and then, Owen Farrell was even like quite charming in his post-match interview. I was like, this day has been full of surprises. And then we take a walk over to Stade Francais in Paris, France. France coming off 41-28 victors over Wales. Good win for the French side coming second in the Six Nations. I don't think mm-hmm. their goal necessarily was to win this year's Six Nations. You know, we said in the beginning, they're debuting nine players this season, which I thought was mm. very impressive for me. And I think they'll be quite happy with how, how it turned out. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll they'll be happy. Again, I thought there were moments where Wales, like, had their number a little bit. For me, this was the interesting game of the of the day because, you know, so often Rusty and others will say Wales is the team that plays the most similar style of rugby to the Springboks. Now, they're definitely not at their best at the moment. There's no arguing about that. But there were times where I felt like they were kind of smothering France. And that's very much what we would probably do as well. So it was interesting to watch that play out. I was expecting a a much bigger scoreline. But France has the benefits of consistency, I think. Great coaching. Some core team members that have been around and have really done well for the team. Whereas Wales is just, it's a mess there at the moment. Like they're just in flux. So much going on behind the scenes. 
changing coaches. And now it was just announced, I think this morning, that their strength and conditioning coach is also leaving before the World Cup. So, yeah, it's not great for them. All things considered, they can be happy they didn't get the wooden spoon, I think. Yeah, Wales having a bit of a tough time in the competition, as you know, we've spoken at length previously about um, the, the financial issues with the club teams and the players not having contracts, then new coaching, like you mentioned. But I feel like you've started to see the Gatland print on their game mm-hmm. return a little bit. You know, they're showing that grit, mm-hmm. that willingness to fight the game out a little bit. Like you say, the traditional South African game plan where they, they choke teams mm-hmm. out and, and control the position. Mm-hmm. Because France never ran away with this game. There was no point where mm-hmm. like, Wales is definitely out. Wales were in it right yeah. up till the end. And good, good to see them making a little bit of a comeback. But something I think worth a bit of a debate as well. You know, France in this game started nine players from Toulouse, all at the same club. Ireland starting 13 players from Leinster. That consistency from club to country seems to be a winning formula for these guys. And it'll be great to see if that happens with the box with so many Sharks players coming through as well. Mm. Yeah, and this is the challenge because that is one of the reasons why the Sharks are struggling so much, isn't it? Because we just don't have any consistency because our players are coming and going all the time. So it's kind of that trade-off between club and country. And obviously, as much as we want the Sharks to win, we want the Springboks to win more. So yeah, it will be really interesting to see. I mean, there was initially during Rusty's tenure, you know, he, he leaned quite heavily on the Stormers players because that was obviously the team that he knew best and that worked well. So I think I think it will be interesting this year to see how we do with so many Sharks players in the team. For sure. It's going to be interesting to see that play out, but it's doing pretty well for France and Ireland at the moment. And then I think special shout out to Thomas Ramos. He had a crack of Six Nations and ending the season off as the top point scorer for France. I mean, he's playing out of his socks and he's still contending there with Jalibur and Jaminet for the fullback position. So great, great depth for France. And then a major shout out to Talupe Falatal, one of my favorite players, hard man at the back of the scrum. He got his 100th cap this weekend. So well done, Talupe. Yeah, a lot of milestones this weekend. It was interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I must just point out here, France have only lost three games under Galtier. Hey? That's unreal. Amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, France. France, a very well-coached side. They really play well on fractured balls. So it's going to be great mm-hmm. to see the Springboks play them because we like to keep it tight and push their back line back in. And with France and Ireland, you've seen a lot of scores down the channels wide, diving yeah, over yeah. that flag at the end. And the box defensive mm-hmm. doesn't allow for that. So that's going to be really, really great to see these teams come up against each other. Very. And, and I think what the most important thing to remember is you can't compare the November internationals with the World Cup. It's just not the same. Not at all. So let me put it this way then. Out of the six nations, who are your favorites ahead of the World Cup? Who has the best chance? I would say France, just because I know everyone else is thinking Ireland. But for me, it's France because of that incredible consistency that they've showed. But also, obviously, home ground advantage. Like, you just can't just can't deny that. And I know it didn't work for them in 2007, but it's a different team now, I think. I think it's definitely going to work in their favour. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think France has the best shot, purely because Ireland's going to face us, come second in the pool, and then get knocked up by the All Blacks. So, yes, that'll be, that'll be nice to dish that up for the Irish. Then, Scotland has definitely been on the rise. I think they don't necessarily have the greatest depth we saw them struggle a little bit without Hoggy and Ben Russell this weekend Kings mm. did have a bit of a good game 
But are they going to threaten the box place in the quarterfinals? Can they upset us or Ireland? Look, I'm very superstitious, so I will never say never. Anything can happen on the day in, in the World Cup, but I would say that would be a massive upset. I would be very surprised if that happened. I just don't think they have the depth and the consistency. So I think if they have an amazing game on the day and we're having like quite a bad day, like quite a bad day, then they could knock us out. But I don't anticipate that. So I'm going to be there. So can it please not happen? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm also not seeing Scotland upsetting us in the World Cup. They might mount quite a challenge, but I don't see them, them tipping the iceberg in their favour. And lastly, your favourite player of the Six Nations. It has to be Duan, doesn't it? I mean, he's just obviously South African. But besides that, I think he's been the real kind of one of the major turning points for Scotland. He's been fantastic for them. And he did such a lovely interview with Alma Smith recently. I don't know if you saw it, but for yeah, World Rugby, exactly. talking about how, how Scotland just like gave him his opportunities and how he's grabbed both hands. And it was just really lovely. So I think, yeah, he's definitely my favorite player from the tournament. And yours? I definitely can't argue with that. He's had a stellar tournament. But mine is going to go to Roman Intermac. I feel like the Six Nations, he really showed the quality he is at a 10. You know, we've seen mm. glimpses of it. We've seen some incredible stuff. But I feel like this Six Nations, he was really consistent. And he's shown Gautier mm. that he is the 10 to take France to the World Cup. I, I thoroughly yeah. enjoy his style of play, his linking play, his kicking. He's he's well-rounded as a player. So that's where my shout-out goes. Yeah, he's great as well. It's tough to choose, very, even though it's Northern Hemisphere teams. As long, <laughs> as long as no English players. <laughs> right? No. That's not going to happen. So now we've had a good chat about the Six Nations and and how it's gone there. I think it's important to take a bit of a look at this World Cup draw because you mm-hmm. see Ireland and France, the top two Northern Hemispheres in A and B. Then you've got New Zealand and the Springboks filling out their pools. And then on the other side, you've got England who can make it all the way to a semi-final without playing anyone in the top eight in the world. Yeah, yeah. I'm banking on Japan pulling like a sneaky upset in that pool. But um, but anyway, that would be really good if Jamie Joseph can organize that for us, knock England out before the quarterfinals even. I wouldn't I wouldn't be averse to that. So, I mean, do you agree the World Cup draw is too early? I see World Rugby has come out and said, you know, they're going to move it closer to the World Cup. But what is the right time frame for that? Yeah, it's a tricky one. And so it's interesting because everyone's been up in arms about it. And I think this this World Cup, it's been probably the most noticeable because the top five in the world because obviously Scotland is or I haven't looked at the rank what the rankings will be after this weekend but Scotland was obviously fifth so it's the top five teams in the world in pools a and b like it it is a bit ridiculous but traditionally when they did it is when they've always done it so the was traditionally always done the first the year after the previous world cup and they changed that for 2019 I can't remember why but I feel like they need to change it again because it is too soon. Like three years before is way too soon. The tricky thing is the logistics because obviously like you're getting people saying, oh, the draw should only be done like two months before. Well, that's never ever going to happen no. <laughs> because how are they going to sell any tickets? How are people going to book flights and all of that stuff? I mean, I've been paying for my World Cup supporters tour for over the last two years. <laughs> so like you need to kind of have that balance. I think I think for Japan, they did it two years in advance. Am I right? I think you are correct. So is two years what you would think is a reasonable time ahead of the World I think I think so. To give people enough time to plan their trip. It's not exactly. Unless, I mean, if you're in Europe, and this is where it's kind of 
unfair a little bit because if you're in Europe, it's easy to just like do a quick sticks holiday to France, you know. But for people coming from Australia, New Zealand, Argentina, South Africa, like Japan, it's not so easy. So people need time to plan that stuff. And it probably took us about a year just to get onto the website to buy the tickets in the first place. (laughs) It was such a dog show. Yeah. I mean, jokes aside, like I do think Two years, maybe 18 months at the kind of shortest time frame would probably be reasonable. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a juggling act because you've got, like you say, the logistics of it for the fans, for, for where the games are all going to be played, who's going to be playing who and all of that. But in the same time, I mean, so much can change in two years. Look what Rassi yeah. did with the box in two years. Mm-hmm. But even in yeah. six months, I mean, you could have had this six nations go a completely different way and then no one would be complaining yeah. about the pools. It, it's in the world of sports, everything happens so quickly. So I don't think you're ever going to get a time period that fits the draw. I think it's going to be luck mm. at the end of the day that yeah. the teams are evenly spread out or not. Because like you say, it's been done one way for so long. It's just funny that it's an, or unfortunate that this is how it panned out this time. Yeah. But they've also changed. They've changed the kind of way that the semis work. So in the past, like it would have been A and B, like our track would have met again in the semis but they've swapped it over so it's like cross-pollination which also then changes that dynamic so I mean is it ideal that all those teams are in the same like two pools no but I don't think it's the end of the world like I feel like people are really kind of just making a fuss because they can you know like sometimes we just need to take what's in front of us and just roll with it (laughs) yeah you just got to go with the punches and the reality is the teams that make it out of those quarterfinals are going to have had some good game preparation ahead of the semis and finals. So yeah, balancing act where the other side have a bunch of, let's call it easy games for lack of a better phrase. Mm. And they might come into the, yeah. the later stages of the playoff games undercooked. You never know. Yeah. We just have to hope for no injuries touching all of the wood. Like that I think is the real concern because obviously we're going to have like really tough games getting, getting through the pool and quarters and semis, hopefully. Those are going to be like hard physical games, whereas the other track may not have such brutal games. Yeah. Although, like, good luck against Argentina, England. So, <laughs> you know, I just, that is the concern, I think, most the injuries. I'm not so worried about like, oh, it's unfair that all the top teams are in one, in one side of the draw. It's just that there is more risk of players getting hurt when it's such physical games. For sure. That's definitely always a risk that comes with it. So I'm curious then, who would you rather face in the quarterfinals as the Springboks, the All Blacks or France? Mm, that is a tricky question. I'd rather face France earlier than later, I think. Like, let's just get it out of the way. Yeah, I'm the opposite. I would rather face the All Blacks in the quarters. I think we can take them there. And I think the occasion will get to France in a potential final against them. And the box experience could win out there. So Yeah, that's actually Okay, I'm changing my vote. <laughs> there we go. There we go. It's gonna be very interesting to see how that one goes because one slip up in the pool stages could mean you face the team you don't want to at all. Then I just wanna chat yeah. with you. I just wanna chat with you a bit about a tactic that I've picked up over the last few weeks as well and get your opinion on it because yesterday Galtier comes out and he says, you know what? France are the team to beat in the World Cup. He hopes other teams are scared of them. Then you go (laughs) over to Ireland, who are doing everything under the sun 
to remain humble, to shake that tag, the team, I'm not talking about the supporters, but mm. they don't mm. want the spotlight on them. Then you go over to the Springboks and the Springboks are blowing everyone else's horns. You've got Andre Pollard coming out in favor of England. You've got Etzebeth and Colby talking about France. Very different tactics being employed by each team. Which do you think is the right way to take it on? I mean, I think it differs. I think what Gaultier is doing works for the French fans. I don't know if it necessarily works for other teams. I don't know that they can get in other teams' heads like that. It's because I don't know actually like at that level, at that professional level, whether that kind of like one game kind of actually has an impact on the players. But I do think it works to rev the fans up and those fans are definitely an intimidating factor once you're in the stadium. Like, it's hardcore. But the Springboks have always done that, haven't they? They've always played the kind of we're the underdogs, like nobody sees us coming kind of card. So it's interesting to see Ireland trying to do the same thing because it's very much a Springbok tactic. Like, they love to be the underdogs. Yeah, we, we like to pretend we're a Brian country with a rugby problem, you know. So. Right. The second thing that we do, you know, pump everyone else up and then we'll quietly come and clap you every 12 years and take a World Cup. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to be every 12 years. We are done with that nonsense. (laughs) Yeah, Franz Stan has spoken. And when the man speaks, you've got to listen to him, eh? But I think it is... You have to listen to him, (laughs) Francie. Exactly. But it's interesting to see how each team is approaching it. And for me, it's a first to see Galtier actually come out. It's not often you see Mm. a coach come out and say, I want that favorite tag. Come and beat us. It's at our home. But maybe it's a good idea since it is a home World Cup to put that mm. expectation. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's revving his players up as well. Like he's saying, guys, okay, this is it. It's yours for the taking. It's a very different coaching style to what we're used to. Rossi would just never, like he would just never do that, I don't think. And nor would Jacques Nienaber. Like that's just not their vibe. They're more about the kind of inspirational, how are we making a difference to our country kind of thing, which no other country has. That's the thing that works in our favor. And I mean, we fuck them up. There are times. Exactly. See, I've been trying not to swear. I've been trying to be really good about this situation because you know I've got a filthy mouth at the best of time. But you know, that's the thing. It's like, this is the one time when having like a really shitty political situation and no electricity and all of that stuff actually works in our favor because our coach uses it to rev the team up and say, we need to give these people something to live for. Whereas, I mean, what is what is Galtier going to say? What is Farrell going to say to rev the team up? If that's the same kind of caliber, you know, like, so they have to come at it like we're the ones to beat, go out there and fight. Yeah, in this year's documentary, Chasing the Croissant, Jacques Ninava say to the team, you know, boys, give South Africa a reason to run their generators. Exactly, right? Give Linda a reason to go to the pub where they have a generator so she can watch the game. <laughs> there we go. But yeah, I think, I think the might... real question is, what, am, what tattoo am I going to get when we win? Because I've already got the cherry blossom springbok. So do I get another, do I get some like French flowers around it? Like, what is the plan? That's what we really should be working towards. There we go. Well, guys, if any of you have a suggestion on the tattoo, maybe you can pop it through for Belinda to consider. That might be a, a fun way to get some, some ideas going for you. I'm going to regret this on time. But I think Galtier might actually be doing quite a good job by placing that expectation on the team now. You know, they've got sort of six months to digest it, get used to it and realize, you know, it's a home World Cup. The pressure is on them whether they admit it or not. And maybe hoping the players will just get comfortable with that favorites tag. 
because it inevitably is theirs in a home world cup yeah absolutely and i think i'm kind of loving that conversation as much as it like rubs me up the wrong way like and you know i have a tendency to fall down the rabbit hole of rugby twitter and and get mortally (laughs) offended by the things i read there but there is this whole narrative of how like none of the southern hemisphere teams are even in the conversation like it's basically ireland or france and that's it and you know what that's cool guys carry on having that conversation we saw how well that worked out for england in 2019 didn't we So just carry on and we'll just go about our business, doing our thing, chasing the sun and the croissant. We'll see what happens. Take it from there for sure. Then I think it's time we just take a hop over quickly to Super Rugby. Just a couple of results I found interesting this weekend that I thought I'd highlight. You know, it's a competition. It's difficult to watch. It's early in the morning, but sometimes the highlights are lacquer to watch. Highlanders getting their first win of the season with a 43-35 win against the Force. Would have been a little bit worried if they lost that one. Right. <laughs> yeah. But Highlanders are really <laughs> struggling this season. Then we get Brumbies. They got a big 62-36 win over Moana Pacifica. Difficult to see the Island Nation struggling like that. But, you know, Brumbies strongest Aussie side in the competition <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Then the big New Zealand clash. Blues going down at home 28-34 to the Crusaders. Crusaders having a bit of an indifferent season. Win one, lose one, win one. Yeah. So struggling. Yeah, They've lost a bit of the magic, haven't they? They have. And that debate about it being Jason Ryan that actually was the biggest contributor at the Sader's side is gaining a little bit of momentum with the results that they are notching up. And then last one for the weekend, Chiefs continue unbeaten. They seem to be the top side in Super Rugby this year. They got a 44-25 win over the Rebels and really playing some blacker rugby. Yeah, I mean, I... I have to say, if I had to pick a New Zealand team to support or a Super Rugby Pacific team to support, it would probably be the Chiefs. I'm kind of a Damien McKenzie fan. So, yeah, they've always been my kind of New Zealand team to to support. So that's cool. It's good that they're having a good season or a good start to the season. I miss us being in Super Rugby, but you know that. Yes, yeah. And you really <laughs> differ drastically on that. I'm loving the URC. But, yeah, it's... The fan viewership in Super Rugby is also dwindling drastically at the moment. Something because we bring the television viewership. Exactly. That's just, that's what the USC has benefited from us. And and that's what Super Rugby has lost, unfortunately. Without a doubt, eh? So then, Belinda, I thought we'd have a, like a chat about the Bok fly half options. So (laughs) coming up closer and closer to the international season, you guys will hear us on the pod discussing the big debate. You know, we've got a lot of depth some lack of depth but at block block fly half i think we're generally looking at andre pollard alton yankees Franz stain damien willemser marnie lubbock and even possibly a good old Mornay stain who are you taking to the world cup out of those if you can only take two i can only take two sure okay so it's going to be pollard he's going to be my first choice fly half i think he's just been having an absolute blinder of a season at leicester so I know he had some shaky games last year, but generally he's super consistent and he's just like an incredible fly half. So he'd be my first choice. Monet is in retirement. Like he's not even in this conversation. (laughs) And Elton for me, like he just isn't playing enough rugby of significance. So he's out as well. I love France to pieces. I wouldn't take him as a fly half. So it's between Damien and Marnie. And that's a tricky one. That is very hard to choose between. I would like to see them have more chance to play in like the rugby championship before I made a call but head on a block I'm gonna say Damien I think 
So if if you then take the viewpoint that Damien will in the squad as a utility back, you've now mm. got Alton. Does that mean we're going to see Marnie going to the World Cup? Maybe we could. I think we could. I saw I saw an article about Sasha wanting to go to the World Cup as well, and that seems very premature. So I would I would say Marnie. I mean, we obviously do need France as utility back in as well, but I would I would take I would give Marnie a chance. I would love to see Marnie go. Marnie has that excellent passing skills. It's just mm. so lucky to see. And I'm dying to watch him and Lukanya I'm in a back line together. I think those yeah, two that would be cool. could be very, very dangerous in a unit together. But yeah, I have to agree. There's murmurs of Alton, Alton making a comeback, but I just think it's too much of a distraction to the squad. And I think he's, he's burnt those bridges, or at least I hope he has. Even if you take all of that out of the equation, and he is a distraction, and there's a lot of stuff that happened last year, but he's literally played like eight games for a pro D2 side. Like that doesn't equate to enough quality rugby to get you back into the Springbok conversation, in my opinion. I know there will be people who differ with me who love Alton and that's also cool. But yeah, he's he's just not there for me at the moment. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he, he deserves another call up. But we're going to have to wait and see. The Springbok squad will be coming in about two months' time. So it'll be very interesting to see who gets named in that setup. But yeah, guys, thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. Belinda, thank you so much for being here as well. It was really great to chat to someone knowledgeable and not to Ronnie. He's a biased bugger that way. I mean. (laughs) I have to get my digs in while he's not here to defend him. He's not here to defend himself, right? But yeah, that lucky bugger is on his way to Ireland. He's going to be attending the Stormers Leinster game. So he's got a lucky one coming up this following weekend. But he'll be back here with me next week. And I think we're definitely going to have to get you back on. It was really lucky having this chat. You're definitely as I feel like next week when I'm not around to defend myself, you're going to be like, that Belinda, what a chatty (laughs) happy. (laughs) No, no. You're definitely as biased as me. So we've just proven that to all the (laughs) listeners. I shock fans. Why there was ever any doubt. But yeah, guys, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred listening platform. Tune in again the following week. We're here every Wednesday. And yeah, catch you back here next week. Mm